It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. It's hard to believe that just 24 hours ago, you and I were talking about six rockets being fired towards the city of Jerusalem. Since then, hundreds of rockets have been fired from Gaza into southern Israel. And you can hear above me now, Israeli fighter jets are striking targets along the Gaza Strip. This conflict has erupted quickly, violently, and bloody. At least two Israelis are dead, dozens injured, and the Palestinian health ministry inside Gaza says 28 people have been killed there, including several children. Hamas is trying a new tactic with Israel's missile defense system, firing rockets very low to try to get around the interceptors. So all day in the city of Ashkelon, they have been seeing barrages of rockets. At one point, there was a two-hour period where more than 140 were fired into this part of Israel. So often, the people affected most by this type of conflict are the civilians, civilians in Gaza City and civilians in cities like Ashkelon. And they have so much in common, but their governments and militaries are so far apart. Today, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said he will increase the severity of strikes along the Gaza Strip. This is the Qassam Brigades inside Gaza confirmed to Fox News that they plan to continue rocket fire into the southern part of the country. The Israeli military preparing for the possibility of many different options, including a ground operation. We know 5,000 reserve troops have been called up in preparation for what the coming days could bring. And we also know that in Gaza, three Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket commanders were killed, and this has added to the amount of rocket fire and pressure on the factions there to respond forcefully against Israel. All right, that was Trey Yanks to Fox News, and that's a lot can happen in 24 hours. We just talked to Josh Reinstein who was in Jerusalem yesterday. We did an entire show on what's happening in Israel. And at that point, you know, they were feeling pretty safe in Jerusalem. That's in the southern part. And that's that's a harder place, further place for Hamas to attack. And now they found a way. And you just heard Trey describe that they're now sending the, the rockets out lower to try to avoid the Iron Dome. And they're, they're, they're finding their mark. And so it's trouble. Uh, meanwhile, back home, well, who's saying what? Well, let's just see. Black Lives Matter stand in solidarity with Palest- Palestinians. Could I just interject in case you haven't heard this discussion? Israel didn't start this. Uh, they are defending themselves. They are fighting back. When the rockets are sent their way, they target those responsible. And they've been doing that. And they, that's why they took out three of the Hamas leaders just a uh, day before yesterday. Uh, they target them to punish them and make them stop. If Hamas and ha- would stop sending in the rockets, Israel's not the aggressor here. And yet, of course, the whole world twists everything because they hate the Jews. So uh, Black Lives Matter hates the Jews, and they declare solidarity with Palestinians. We are a movement uh, committed to ending settler colonialism in all forms and will continue to advocate for Palestinian liberation. Always have and always will be. 
at uh, hashtag free Palestine. So Black Lives Matter, of course, has a very strong influence on the Biden administration. So interestingly enough, there are other pressures coming at President Biden. Uh, One of them is coming from the squad. Well, all four members of the squad are coming after Israel, but the most vehement uh, is Rashida Tlaib, who is herself Palestinian. And um, she has said things like, um, let's see, she is from Palestine, and she says, uh, I was seven years old when I first prayed at the Al-Aqsa Mar- Mosque with my city. It's a sacred site for Muslims. This is the equivalent to attacking the Church of the Holy Sepulchre for Christians or the Temple Mount for Jews. Israel attacks it during Ramadan. Where's the outrage, POTUS? Tlaib wrote on Twitter. American taxpayer money is being used to commit human rights violations. Congress must condition the aid we send to Israel and end it altogether if those conditions are not followed. Statements aren't working, Secretary Blinken. He's the Secretary of, De- uh, uh, Secretary of State. Enough is enough, she wrote in a separate tweet. And so she's been all over this. And so um, a few nights ago, maybe last night, President Biden was on the tarmac at the airport. Uh, it was in Detroit. And uh, Rashida Tlaib came up to him and they engaged in what? People describe as a tense, roughly eight-minute conversation, uh, lively. And so then President Biden, when he got up to speak in Detroit later, said this. Let's listen. And Rashid, Tlaib, where's Rashid? I tell you what, Rashid, I want to say to you that uh, I admire your intellect, I admire your passion, and I admire your concern for so many other people. And it's my, from my heart, I pray that your grandma and family are well. I promise you I'm going to do everything to see that they are on the West Bank. You're a fighter, and God, thank you for being a fighter. Okay, so there you go. Thank you for being a fighter. Well, the Israeli ambassador uh, says this about Rashida Tlaib. He said, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, maybe you should open your eyes to the whole picture. Islam's third holiest site is being used to stockpile Molotov cocktails and rocks that are being lobbed at the police and at Jewish worshipers praying at the Western Wall below the Temple Mount. Uh, That's Ambassador Jalad Erdan, who wrote that on Twitter yesterday. Congresswoman, instead of calling for peace and calm, your tweets are stoking tensions. Maybe you don't realize that your words encourage terror groups such as Hamas to fire rockets into civilian populations and carry out attacks against Jews. Okay, so you see what's happening here. And if you have been to Israel, you know the Temple Mount is above uh, the Wailing Wall. Uh, it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's above that, and that's what they're talking about, that they're hiding, hiding Molotov cocktails and using the site of the Holy Mosque that she says she prayed at when she was a child, and how dare they attack on the holy days of Ramadan at the mosque. It was started by the Hamas, uh, lobbying um, weapons at people that were worshiping at the Wailing Wall. So it's just all twisted. And um, uh, I put my, I listen, I, I've, if I thought, even as much as I love Israel and as much as I understand Scripture and uh, who the chosen people are, if I thought the Israelis were behaving uh, untoward in this particular situation, I would still say that. Uh, but I don't see any truth on the side of Palestinians. Uh, they put human shields, they put their women and children uh, in the front to be killed, and they they tra- they traipse out with the bodies, lifeless bodies, and c- talk about how many children have been killed when they're the ones that caused it. It's really disgusting. 
And I, I don't know how this started. I don't know, you know, how far back that goes. It's, you know, I think of um, uh, someone I know in Washington who's part of the um, Muslim Brotherhood who said on tape, I heard this, uh, we love death more than they love life. We love death more than they love life. I think that's true of Hamas and the jihadists. There's some glory in death for them, um, you know, meaning like they get 77 virgins. Uh, they get all of these benefits if they die violently and kill people. And so they do love death more than they love life. And I'm not, I don't throw my hat on that side. I'm sorry. Uh, the Israelis are right to defend themselves, and they are right really to uh, try to put down, uh, you know, Josh said yesterday in our conversation that he actually thought the uh, the Israelis were too soft. And I've, I've been, you know, I've told you, I've been there for military briefings. And from my observation, you would not believe the links they go to to keep from killing civilians. It's just amazing. So um, so anyway, that's, that's what's happening in Israel, you know, in the last 24 hours since the last time we spoke. All right, so remember that Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, who was a commander at the Space Force, was dismissed because he, he was removed from his post because he said that the military um, is teaching troops to hate this country. He was on with Sean Hannity last night. Let me let you hear just a little bit of what he said to Sean. Let's listen. You know, one of the things the Defense Department does very well is make it very clear that we've got zero tolerance for discrimination of any kind based on race, uh, sex, politics, religion, etc. And so that's the standard, right? And so to that end, I've made that very clear to my own people that in the light of a hyper-politicized environment that I've seen since taking command, and I'm no longer in command, uh, I will not tolerate any discrimination of any kind based on politics, for example. And so let me give you one example of what I saw uh, in the past 10 months when I was in command of a unit. Uh, there were videos being sent out to every base uh, service member that we were asked to watch in preparation for our extremism down days and uh, discussions on race in which we were taught that the country was evil, that it was founded in 1619 and not 1776, and that whites are inherently evil. And so I speak up against those things in my book. Yes, and so for that, he's been removed from his command. And so, uh, and his, his book, by the way, is number one on the bestseller list for uh, for Amazon. All right, so that was Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. Perhaps you heard, you know, certainly had a lot more to say than that, but I just wanted you to hear that part. And in the continuing discussion of what the Pentagon is doing and how they are polluting and uh, and harassing and uh, trying to get out of the ranks people that uh, love the country, love the Constitution, uh, voted for President Trump, identify as patriots, uh, they are after them. Uh, they're after them with a vengeance and. They've actually launched now a program to surveil military personnel's social media. Uh, this is coming from the appointment of Lloyd Austin as the Secretary of Defense. He's the one that started this, uh, you know, hell-bent on rooting out anyone who supported uh, anything that happened on January 6th, I think including anybody that objected to uh, the, the vote that was taking place on, had taken place on uh, November 3rd. And he had appointed, as we have mentioned, Bishop Garrison, as a senior advisor, and he's the one actually charged with purging the military, and he's really doing a very effective job. So under his leadership, internal Defense Department documents uh, reviewed by what the Intercept uh, outlet show that um, he has, again, been tasked with addressing extremism, quote-unquote, in our, the armed forces. 
and they're currently in the process of designing a social media screening program which will continuously monitor for concerning behaviors. Now, they're going to rely on a private firm uh, so that they're not accused of, you know, usurping the First Amendment right of their soldiers. So the Pentagon won't do it, but a private firm will and then tell the Pentagon. And somehow that does not breach the First Amendment rights of soldiers to say what they want on their social media posts as private citizens. So uh, they're coming after our soldiers and airmen and a Navy corpsmen. It's just going to be more of a nightmare than it already has been. And there also is a leaked report that shows that the Pentagon, uh, they, they formed this countering extremism working group. And uh, they are considering a partnership with the uh, ADL. That's the, um, uh, uh, it's a Jewish group, but I can't think of the acronym, what it stands for. I will in a second. Oh, the Anti-Defamation League, which is horrible. Uh, it is uh, as bad as the SPLC. I'll just give you an, an idea. Uh, the the Anti-Defamation League is using the January 6th Capitol siege to justify its belief that domestic terrorism is a significant threat which requires a whole-of-society mobilization, that is, a collusion of big tech with federal and state governments against it. Along with the release of its annual Murder and Extremism in the U.S. report, the Anti-Defamation League has asked the Biden administration to, quote, convene a preventing domestic terrorism summit bringing together state, federal, and private sector officials And according to the Times of Israel, which disingenuously used a picture from the August 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, in their story, thus implicitly comparing out-of-line Trump supporters with white nationalists, neo-Nazis, and the so-called alt-right. And they write, On January 6th, Americans watched as an insurrection insurrection fueled by violent conspiracy theories and white supremacy gripped the nation and attacked our democracy. That's their report. That's what they wrote. This was a predictable act of political violence fueled by years of increasing extremism. The forces that led to the attack on our capital continue to pose a threat to American security and democracy. I read all of that just to show you how bad things are getting. The Pentagon is going to partner with the Anti-Defamation League and the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is equally as vitriolic. I don't see good things happening. And by the way, a Florida man was convicted uh, in a plot to attack pro-Trump protesters on January 6th. Uh, he is, uh, you know, was anti-Trump, all of this. This is January 6th, and who has heard of this story? Not many of you, and not, not me either until this morning. Sandy Rios in the morning. This is good news, maybe exactly when you need it to. Right now, MediShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MediShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance, and MediShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month. You might save even more. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's healthcare costs, and because of the current economic situation, they're making it easier than ever. Apply by May 30th, and you can save an additional $170 on your first month. I'll give you the number here in a second, and if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to receive your additional savings. Maybe now is the time to make the switch like more than 400,000 people already have and start saving. Here it is. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray 
a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Richard Flournoy, Administrator of the Risk Management Agency at the Department of Agriculture. He oversees development and implementation of crop insurance policies. Genesis 1.29 reminds us of God's blessings of plants and food. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Richard Flournoy as he works on behalf of our nation's farmers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Two Roosevelt University professors were caught on an open microphone during a Zoom call discussing how they use their classrooms to teach students about social justice all day, every day. That's what the professors said. One of them, who teaches a master's class in fiscal policy, said his students were always stunned that he focused on social justice instead of balancing a checkbook. I wrote a book in 2019 that illustrated how the nation's public university system had been radicalized how professors were using their classrooms to raise up a new generation of Marxist and social justice warriors. Since then, we have seen the rise of the cancel culture movement and the birth of radical domestic armies like Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And now many radicalized professors are openly boasting of how they teach social justice values every day in their classrooms. That's why I would encourage you to homeschool your children. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The Office of Civil Rights uh, sent a letter to Connecticut saying that uh, boys can't compete with girls in, in sports or so, what's should happening be forced here? to allow boys to compete in girls' sports. Uh, if you're confirmed, will you enforce that Office of Civil Rights opinion? Hello, Senator. Uh, thank you for the question. I understand that there are a, a lot of concerns about that. Uh, it's, it's, if confirmed, it's my responsibility and my uh, privilege to make sure that we're following uh, our civil rights of all students. And that includes uh, activities that they may engage in in high school or in athletics. What do you think in general about boys running in girls' track meets like they've been doing in Connecticut? I think that it's critically important that education systems and educators respect the rights of all students, including students who are transgender, um, and that they are afforded the opportunities that every other student has to uh, participate in extracurricular activities. Does it bother you that, like, the top 20% of boys running in track meets beat all of the girls in the state and that it, you know, would be, 
you know, completely destroy girls' athletics. The girls are being pushed out. Um, they don't make the finals in the state meet. They don't get college scholarships. That it's really detrimental to girls' sports. Do you worry about having boys running girls' track meets? You know, I, I recognize and appreciate the concerns um, and the uh, frustrations that are expressed. I've, as Commissioner of Education, have had conversations with families uh, who have felt the way you just described it and families of uh, students who are transgender. So I understand that this is a challenge. I look forward to working with you and others to Do you think it's fair to have boys running in the girls' track, mate? I think it's appropriate for, it's, I think it's, it's the legal responsibility of schools to provide opportunities for students to uh, participate in activities, and this includes students who are transgender. So you don't have a problem then with boys running in the girls' track meet, swimming meets, name it. You're okay then with boys competing with girls? Respectfully, Senator, I think I answered the question. I believe schools should offer the opportunity for students to engage in extracurricular activities, even if they're transgender. I think that's their right. Okay, that was a hearing with uh, Senator Rand Paul, and he was grilling the future Secretary of Education or the nominee, Miguel Cardona, and the issue of girls competing in uh, uh, boys competing in women's sports is a huge issue, uh, but there are so many more complications, as you know, whether it's locker rooms, or changing rooms, or traveling together, or bathrooms. Uh, the whole issue of transgenderism, medical care, all of that, uh, was uh, a huge issue. It was begun the whole push to include transgender persons in protections that were supposed to be civil rights protections began with President Obama, and uh, we are reaping the bitter fruits of that. So when President Trump was elected, uh, he appointed people in office that would uh, systematically reverse what had been the horrors of the Obama administration on these issues. And one of the key persons that President Trump chose was Roger Severino. He was the director of the Office of Civil Rights for the Health and Human Services Division of the executive branch of the country. And in that capacity, Roger and his team uh, instituted a number of rules and regulations that really transformed this country. Um, And bottom line, uh, uh, President Biden is now systematically reversing all of them. Well, to to, to discuss this and kind of paint a picture for you is Roger Severino. Thank you, Roger. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Sandy. You know what? Um, I know that you can't say everything that you personally accomplished under the, uh, with the blessing of President Trump, but can you highlight some of the things that you are most proud of having achieved in terms of rules and regulations changes? Sure, happy to. It was a tremendous opportunity. We did so much in four years, and if there was any doubt about President Trump, he dispelled them all by being the most pro-life, pro-religious liberty president in history, by far. He appointed people who were willing to fight for those principles and those values. He spoke uh, about those issues with a passion that we had not seen in prior presidents, and it was reflected in his policies. You mentioned many that were rolled back. Uh, many of the, of the much of the overreach on transgender policies, we pushed back through regulation, and we also did some very important affirmative things. I had the honor of founding the nation's first conscience and religious freedom division within the federal government to actually have dedicated career professionals to continue to enforce the laws that have been passed by Congress that protect everybody's rights to conscience and religious freedom. It has been treated as the stepchild of rights in the spectrum of rights for far too long, 
and now there are uh, there's a whole unit dedicated to it because it's an issue that should not change regardless of who's in the Oval Office. Just like every other civil right, we don't debate whether our laws banning discrimination on the basis of race should be up for debate every four years. In the same way, we shouldn't be debating our conscience, religious freedom laws, and that's why I founded that division. So that is what I am most proud of. I think that's an important legacy that is very difficult to undo. They have not done it yet. Even though Dr. Rachel <laughs> the Levine one thing has, they haven't done, okay. The yeah, one thing they, they haven't they, undone yet, okay. Yeah, yeah, and we'll go through the list of the many things they've yeah. they've undone, but okay. it's hard to get get to that one. We'll see what they do. And second, I'm also very proud of the work we've done on disability rights. Mm-hmm. It was an incredible coalition of pro life folks and disability rights folks of left and right, and we did so much good, especially during the pandemic, to ensure that law recognizes the common human dignity of every single person, including those with disabilities. So, all right, let's do this. Let's go to the abortion issue first, because I remember um, one of the things that's in play right now is the president, and you'll know the the language better than I, because there is language, you know, of agencies and language of statutes, but... um, There was a limitation on organizations like Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in the nation. Uh, There's been complaining uh, uh, in the Congress and among the people, for sure, for decades about Planned Parenthood getting so much tax money. And so President Trump made, under under you, under his direction, made um, a change uh, in how that money was distributed. Can you explain that and what's happened to that now? Oh, sure. So there was several things that that happened with respect to Planned Parenthood and others. First, Congress actually finally passed uh, defunding of Planned Parenthood and abortion uh, entities. That's rare for something like that to happen. The president signed it. Where I was more specifically involved had to do with things like Title X funding. There you have family planning grants that were going to organizations that perform abortions under the same roof that they provided the Title X family planning services. Now, Americans of all political stripes, whether they're in favor of abortion or against it, generally think you don't force taxpayers to pay for other people's abortions, right? That's the Hyde Amendment that President Biden has promised to undo. He is now yeah. flip-flopped. He says he wants taxpayers to fund other people's abortions. Mm. That's breaking the consensus and the norm on this issue. And when we're in the Trump administration, we clarify the Title Ten rules to say, if you're receiving these funds, you can't, in the same room, be offering abortions and the Title Ten services to the same people. You have to have actual physical and financial separation. It's common sense. We require this sort of thing for all sorts of other programs. Let's do it with abortion, too, to make sure we're not funding abortion over flaming planning. What did Planned Parenthood do and others? They dropped out of the program. And it had a fit. They care, they, they care more about fit. abortion yeah. than about family planning services. So it, it exposed them. They say they do all these other services. They're not really about abortion. They're about women's health, comprehensive services, et cetera, et cetera. When faced with the question, are you willing to separate your abortion function from your other services? They said no. And they voluntarily got out of the program and, of course, lost millions of dollars, which... President Biden and Javier Becerra have now proposed 
to restore. So that is still in play. And Roger, correct me, Kay, because this is complex, and you, you know that it is because you manned the ship for a long time. But is this a comment period on this particular issue, and what does that mean to people listening? Yes. It, and listeners really need to know that we are now governed by federal agencies. We're not really governed by Congress and the president and the laws. It's really federal agencies that dictate, with the force of law, what we can or cannot do in our daily lives. That's number one. Number two, that means citizens have to be active in the process. They have to learn how to interact with federal agencies. And the process for doing that is rulemaking. Agencies are required by law when they do anything of significance, such as whether or not to fund abortion activities, make those proposals public, give the public an opportunity to comment. They must read every comment, analyze them, and respond. And if they don't, it can be arbitrary and capricious and unlawful. This is the way for citizens to actually impact the government. We had to do it under Trump, and President Biden has to do it under the current HHS, whether they will or not remains to be seen. They announced a sexual orientation gender identity policy without rulemaking, but that makes them vulnerable. With the Title X rule we're talking about now, the comment period just closed. It was an extremely short 30 days, okay. and a lot of organizations, uh, many of which you've heard of, think tanks and religious organizations, policy groups, have submitted their comments. And now yes. folks who oppose Biden and Becerra are starting to rally and get informed about the process and comment. There's already over 150,000 comments, I believe, and I'm sure it's going to grow. Well, let me um, just so uh, interject, Roger. Let me interject yep. that American Family Association was one of those groups. I want people to know that. Uh, so um, yes, we're indeed. supporting what you're doing for sure. All right, so yeah. but so can citizens make, private citizens make comments, though? Absolutely. Okay. On regulations.gov. Okay. That is the website. That is the portal where people can comment on any regulation that's proposed. So it requires groups to help inform the public, hey, that this is going on, so keep your eyes you know, open and then inform the public. That's why your, your, your show is so important, because you get that information out there, and then people need to get on regulations.gov and actually submit their comments. It could be long or short. It just has to be, because your government needs to know what you think about these policies with respect to funding abortion, with respect to gender identity, whether people's insurance will be required to pay for sex reassignment surgeries. All these issues are now in, in the front lines of these uh, debates, and they're being imposed through the federal regulatory process. Yeah, you know, to make your point, let me just remind people that they will remember the famous bathroom decree that President Obama made right right before he was leaving office, forcing departments of education, well, yes, in, in all the states, to uh, open bathrooms to all genders or risk not getting federal funding. And that's why, like, overnight, schools started, you know, uh, pushing these kinds of policies. And that was not through a law passed by Congress, signed by the president. That was through an agency or an executive order. And that's the point you're trying to make. And I think, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Roger, because I just, I just could be wrong about this. But the whole uh, exponential use of r- r- these kinds of rules and regulations and agency 
dictums that they would uh, come out with started really got out of hand during the Obama administration. As I recall, I mostly thought of it at the time of uh, like environmental rules, like telling people what they could do on their own land, punishing them with huge fines. It became, uh, you could spend years in jail or become bankrupt because of rules of agencies. I don't recall that being the case before the Obama years. Do you remember? It's true. It's grown exponentially. And it's, there's two responses. One, Congress has the power to undo regulation, which they rarely exercise. It's usually when there's a switch in president. But that should be done whenever that happens. It's an opportunity for Congress to step in and undo it. Second, Congress can prohibit regulations to a degree. If it says that Congress has the one with the authority to make the rules, then it could keep that authority. It, it, it shouldn't just give it away to federal agencies because they're unaccountable bureaucrats. And then once the regulations are in, people need to be informed about it and challenge them in court if they are impacted because the number has exploded. And to the extent the administrative state is here to stay, which it's going to be for the foreseeable future, when conservatives have the authority, we should actually start doing some good regulations. For example, we put in a conscience and religious freedom regulation um, to clarify what the scope is of the religious freedom laws that we're supposed to be enforcing. So that's where we could use regulatory power for a good end. And of course, the left sued and tried to enjoin that, et cetera. And, but we have to be able to... to uh, accept the reality of what we're dealing with. The administrative state is huge. We need to get involved. We need to watch it. We need to check it. And where appropriate, use it to good end. Okay. Uh, Roger, let me ask you before I ask another question. Can you hang with me for another segment? Yes. Do you have the time? Okay, because we didn't even get into the transgender stuff, and we need to. I want people to know what's happening with that because it's going to affect them and their children. Uh, Roger has told us to go to regulations.gov. Uh, So to keep track of this, I know it's another responsibility. People are thinking, oh, one more thing. But this is really the nature. It's better than taking up up arms and doing an armed rebellion. This is a way short of that where we actually fight back in a different way. And so uh, regulation.gov. By the way, Roger is currently the senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Institute. He's he's overseeing the HHS Accountability Department, and certainly he's the right man to do that. But when we come back, I want to talk about the reversal of these rules on all issues transgender. It's really very alarming, and you need to know. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Airing the Addisons. Project Lincoln is a Republican outfit that hates Trump. But they are saying that they are going to go after other Republicans who favor Trump and track them. And they're going to keep the world up to date on where these people are so that they never work in this country again. Airing the Addisons, weekday afternoons at 2 Central on AFR. If you miss it, catch the podcast anytime at AFR.net. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here are some of our core values. AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. 
Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Over 120 of our nation's retired generals and admirals penned an open letter in which they said, We are in a fight for our survival as a constitutional republic like no other time since our founding in 1776. The conflict is between supporters of socialism and Marxism versus supporters of constitutional freedom and liberty. They also said, under a Democrat Congress and the current administration, our country has taken a hard left turn towards socialism and a Marxist form of tyrannical government, which must be countered. The survival of our nation and liberty are at stake. Will our nation listen? Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Elisha the prophet was trapped in the city of Dothan, surrounded by the horses and chariots and the mighty army of Syria. Elisha's servant panicked, but Elisha did not. Elisha asked God to open the eyes of his servant so he could see into the unseen world of the spirit. When his eyes were opened, he saw that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The army of God that he couldn't see was much greater and much more powerful than the army he could see. So the point is that no matter what we face, the resources at our disposal are greater and more powerful than any threat that comes at us. So we do not need to be frightened by any fear. We can move forward right into the teeth of the enemy because we know that those who are with us are more than those who are with our adversaries. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Yesterday, the prospect of genocide games being held in China next February became decidedly more problematic. A U.S. congressional hearing established on Tuesday that the participation of government's corporate sponsors and athletes in Winter Olympics in Beijing would be tantamount to excusing and legitimating the Chinese Communist Party's myriad crimes, including monstrous and ongoing ones against humanity. Leaders on both sides of the political aisle and of Capitol Hill endorsed the thrust of testimony they heard. The United States must move and or boycott games hosted by a regime that one witness, human rights champion Reggie Littlejohn, accurately described as a transnational criminal organization. Speaker Nancy Pelosi floated a trial balloon of restricting the boycott to diplomats and officials only. The CCP would welcome such a transparent fraud and betrayal of its victims. The world must really boycott, not enable, Beijing's genocide games. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. We're already seeing an unprecedented push for anti-trans legislation this year alone. Axios reports that Republicans in at least 25 states are moving forward with over 60 bills targeting trans youth specifically. The bills would limit access to school sports and gender-affirming health care. LGBTQ advocates say the bills are discriminatory and transphobic and is triggered in part by backlash to President Biden's election victory. CBS report uh, probably a month and a half ago, something like that. And actually yesterday, Tennessee Governor, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill Lee signed a bill um, to make bathrooms, locker rooms separate by biological sex. 
Uh, and, you know, he's, ta- he's, re- he's going to reap the, the whirlwind here because we know what happened in North Carolina. Some 30 states now are working on various uh, ways to stop uh, the onslaught, which started, was really started with Barack Obama. It just did. And um, my guess is Roger Severino, his job, Severino, his job under uh, President Trump was to head the uh, Office of Civil Rights in the Health and Human Services Division of uh, the, the executive branch of government. Now, it's, I know this is all very complicated, but each of these agencies are huge. And HHS is probably maybe close to justice. I don't know. Roger, which is bigger, HHS or justice? I don't know. It has the biggest budget. It could be uh, its own country by, by size of budget. It is gargantuan. The health and Human Services, you were not, did you say Health and Human Services? We missed that yeah. first part. HHS. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So huge. <laughs> and that's, uh, and so, and with tremendous power, and that's why the, uh, the, the dark, well, say the deep state has gotten out of control. Uh, and so, Roger, in the, in the issue of um, transgender, all, all things transgender and all these regulations, let's go for the one that's now kind of, I think, the most current, I think that you guys worked on, and that was um, what the left calls LGBT protections against health care discrimination. Explain what President Trump did and now what President Biden is trying to do to counter that. Can you, please? Sure. And it began, of course, with President Obama put in a transgender mandate in health care under Obamacare, saying that discrimination on the basis of sex covers gender identity which means insurance coverage for sexual assignment surgeries, that doctors would have to perform these surgeries, removing healthy reproductive organs, non-diseased, in the name of a new gender ideology. This is not science-based. It is ideological first, and we've seen this because, for example, the United Kingdom has just put an end to puberty blockers in minors because the evidence is not there that the risks uh, are so great the permanent sterility, the psychological harm it caused, they put a stop to it. Norway has just announced their leading clinic has put a stop to it in minors. And we're seeing now this change. The Trump administration, we're ahead of the game. We actually reversed that transgender mandate through a regulation. But just last week, the Biden administration announced they're putting it back in without even doing the rulemaking process. It is lawless. So now doctors have to wonder, are, is, there, is there federal funding at risk if they don't perform these surgeries, especially on minors? The question of what pronouns could be used, it's going to go on and on and on, and it's not even done with giving the public the courtesy of public rulemaking. It, it is lawlessness. And further, my understanding, Roger, is because of the um, RIFRA, the Religious uh, Freedom Restoration Act, or in form, some form, there are some state ones and some federal ones, so I can't, I can't get in the weeds on that. But let me just say that there are protections for people uh, in religious hospitals, at least supposed to be. But if this um, uh, Equality Act passes, even that will go. So there will be no protections, and doctors who are Christians, who uh, are Muslim, or whoever has a conscience about, you know, removing healthy organs from little girls and from little boys and and creating, really, monsters out of them. I know that's a very controversial thing to say, but I think it's actually true. I remember that story, Roger. I bet you know too. I think it happened in Canada with that. Um, uh, I got to say this quickly. It's complicated. It was two uh, twins separated at uh, twins at birth. One had their penis inadvertently cut off in a circumcision. 
or in surgery. And uh, the, the doctor, psychologist, advised the parents to raise him as a girl, and they gave him all kinds of hormones. This was the earliest case that I knew about this. And the doctor preened about how successful it was and claimed that it didn't make any difference, that he didn't, uh, that, that if they gave him the proper hormones, he could grow to be a girl. But it, it was a disaster. They tracked him all those years. Uh, he was tortured as a teenager, and he ended up killing himself. And so... Um, I do think that when you do this, to, this is why I guess Britain has reversed their their practice, because this is, I don't think, uncommon. People do this, and then they regret it. So here we go again with the Biden administration. Now, are you saying then that there's no public comment period, nothing we can do about this? There isn't on this. It was just announced through a press release. Dr. Rachel Levine, who is a transgender advocate and Becerra just announced it by fiat. Now, I, I will take issue. Uh, we got to be very careful with our language. The folks who undergo these surgeries, they're, they're not monsters. They're all created in the image and likeness of God. They're in a very tough situation, often pressured by peers. We're seeing this rapid onset gender dysphoria, which had never happened before, where clusters of mostly girls in high school all of a sudden together all say they are now transgender. That is new, and it, it, it's uh, a lot of pre- peer pressure going on, a lot of uh, doctors that are feeding them uh, promises that they cannot fulfill. What we've seen that in the most affirming societies in the world that accept uh, transgender surgeries, you are still seeing extremely high suicide rates. This is not, right. quote-unquote, curing the mm-hmm. issue. Um, they need, folks with dealing with gender dysphoria need to be treated with compassion and respect at all times. And generally speaking, with children, over 90% of kids who have any gender issues grow out of it with zero intervention. With no interventions, it just goes away. So why are we pushing kids to go on puberty blockers that cause permanent infertility, off-label uses of drugs, and pushing and pushing and pushing so there's only one direction you could ever go, and that's on this treadmill of of transition, right? Instead of accepting the biology that, that you're born with, that God gave you, it's a rejection of it and trying to turn it into something else that we know has all sorts of negative consequences, many of which is just purely experimental and unknown, and we won't know for decades, which is why Britain is putting an end to it, and so are other countries in the United States. You're seeing this in some of the states as well. You mentioned, uh, I think it was Arkansas that may have passed it, a prohibition yeah, they did on too. these yeah. treatments on, on, yeah. on minors. So you're seeing that pushback from this overreach because it's not based on science. It's based on ideology. You know, uh, I thank you for the correction on the use of the word monster, and I need to clarify my own statement. I don't believe that I have a good friend that had went through the entire transition process. Uh, I, I did, I'm thinking of like, uh, you remember the island of, um, just the whole experimentation of, of putting different parts together, like the old Frankenstein or uh, that famous book by H.G. Wells about the move, uh, changing animals, you know, match, mixing and mashing, and, and uh, that's really what I'm thinking. That's how odd it is that the intrinsic value and worth of the person isn't affected by this. Um, so I want to make I'm, – I'm glad you corrected me on that. You know, Rachel Levine had a very interesting uh, interaction with Rand Paul when she was um, being uh, – Consider for the nomination. She's your counterpart, right? She, he took your uh, job, right? It, 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 it's close. So Dr. Levine is the Assistant Secretary for Health and was part
part of the announcement. It's a different role than the director of civil rights office, okay. which has not been filled. My my position has not been filled, which is very curious. Uh, it's it's a, an important position, and I think it diffuses responsibility. They're still making these announcements, and Levine was part of that announcement, but it, it's a little harder to pin the tail on the donkey because you don't know who exactly is the one running it because they have not announced my successor. Very curious. But anyway, interesting. They're still doing well, what they're doing, and Levine definitely a part of it. Yes, well, well so well, so so I was going to say is that interaction with Rand Paul. I wish we had it because it was just it was really revealing because Rand Paul really spelled out what it means to alter the gender, to mutilate the bodies of these children, and ask Doctor Levine, uh, who is a man uh, who has been transitioned into a woman. Uh, how he feels about doing that to children. And he just kept giving this one-sentence response, like an Ottoman, like a, that's all. So in other words, by by not saying, of course she's all in favor. And so she's behind, she has to be behind a lot of this. You can't blame it on her uh, specifically, but it's a, it's a team of people who for some reason think this is a great idea. So again, in spite of, um, how about with, what are some other regulations that we've overlooked, Roger, that they have reversed that you want to highlight? Well, going back to Levine, Rand Paul asked a very clear question. Are you in favor of sex reassignment surgeries in minors? Effectively, yes or no. And, and Levine hemmed and hawed and said, I'm, it's complicated, it's nuanced, I'm happy to brief you on it. Well, I received that briefing from Levine directly when I, I was head of the Civil Rights Office. I'd asked the leading transgender advocates and doctors to get the perspective before it did rulemaking, which is that that's what you're supposed to do, right? To, to get as many as much input as possible from as many voices to inform your decision making, and the answer was absolutely clear that yes, this surgery, permanent, which causes sterility, would be appropriate in minors with gender dysphoria and puberty blockers. So it was very disingenuous of Levine to dodge that question. It was disappointing because the public needs to know exactly where these nominees stand. But Levine got in a very narrow vote. And that's why control of the Senate is so important. It is the strangest time in which we live that we would even be discussing these things seriously. There was a time when we would laugh at this stuff because it was so bizarre, and now it's mainstream. It's just, it's, it's shocking. Okay, before we run out of time, is there any other regulation you want to highlight that has been reversed by the Biden administration? Mm-hmm. They're, they're in the pipe. So what we just saw was Title 10. We're seeing the transgender mandate come back. Uh, I'm worried about the conscience division that yeah. I set up yeah. and the accompanying regulation that was with it. Uh, Lavina said that it should be dismantled. Becerra has hemmed it hard as well. Pisaki was asked about it and said, leave it to Becerra. We need to put Becerra's feet to the fire and say, look, these laws that you say you respect need to actually be enforced. So you need the regulations in place and you need to empower the career professionals, to just do their job. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the complaints keep coming. And this is another important thing for your viewers. If you feel your conscience rights have been violated in healthcare or human services in any way, file a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights at HHS. That's what they're there for. That's why you have the unit there for. And you need to send those complaints in. It's very easy. So it's hhs.gov slash OCR. That's where you file a complaint for conscience religious freedom in healthcare, which are coming up left and right. 
Okay, we'll put that on our Facebook page. I know, Facebook, don't, oh, I know. Uh, we still have one because we, I guess at this point, still have to use it as best we can. But it's hhs.gov slash OCR. That's Office Office of Civil Rights. Did I get it right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Oh, yeah. And uh, for those of you, and you know, Roger, the, the sad part is um, these things are so familiar to you and to me too because of my years in Washington. But for the mo- most part, the American people, they are not familiar. These terms and agency lingo and ways of communicating, this is very new to them. And uh, that's why the bureaucracy has uh, gained so much power. Because uh, they're just, uh, so this is really very helpful to educate people about what's well, happening. We are possible. Yeah. So regulations.gov, if you want to uh, look to see what they're doing and weigh in and, and actually just give them your opinion on these things that they're reversing. Or if you're a medical person and you feel like, or any other, you feel like your conscience has been, uh, you've been required to go against your conscience and do something, uh, contact the Office of Civil Rights and you go to hhs.gov slash OCR. Roger, listen, thank you so much for your service. I want to also mention that we have not mentioned that Roger is married to Carrie Severino, the sweet, uh, <laughs> she's a sweet powerhouse uh, on judicial nominations. And you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, Roger, but tell people would want to know how Carrie's doing. Is she doing well? She's doing really well, praise God. She's yeah. had some uh, health issues that, that seemed to be resolved. It was a cancer diagnosis, which is always very very frightened but we're a strong family we came together uh and it praise god it, it seems to be uh under control and the diagnosis is positive so wonderful. well thank thank god for that and uh carrie you guys have what six or seven children how many i lost we have track. six children six yeah okay so i think i've interviewed her when she was pregnant with each of them but um anyway both of you together have done so much to preserve uh, family values and what's right and what's wrong in this country. And I just thank you, Roger. And uh, I appreciate you joining us this morning and give Carrie my very best. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.